Pulitzer Committee. Deadspin and Dan Lebitard are better than a nine-year-old fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Two, there could be a new candidate running for president, Mark Cuban. Three, a knockdown, drag-out debate over the college football playoff before championship weekend with Chris the Bear Felica. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up and welcome to the weekend. Welcome to Friday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. And you can watch the Will Kane Podcast on YouTube. I am in hell. I am in a vortex, a spiral. I'm in a maze full of trap doors, locked doors, and doors that lead to nowhere. I am in hell. And it's not because I'm having withdrawals from nicotine. Trust me, I am having withdrawals from nicotine, and I am no peach. This week, I have been incredibly irritable. And for that, to you, I do sincerely apologize. And she probably hasn't heard it enough, but as well, to my wife, I'm sorry. I do think that nicotine will play havoc on your system. I mean, I have been moody. I have been down because I was addicted to Zen. Now, a lot of people out there, I posted on social media about this new path with Zen, have said things like, good, I'm glad you quit. That stuff causes cancer. Good, that's gross, all the spitting. And I just feel like, to set the record straight, and for the sake of accuracy and truth, Zen is a tobacco-less nicotine pouch. I think, I think, the primary substance is salt. It does not cause cancer. Man, the anti-smoking lobby was so strong that... And I guess maybe, in fact, the tobacco defense lobby is so effective that everybody thinks it's nicotine that ruins your mouth or ruins your lung or causes cancer. And it's not. And listen, I'm not encouraging anyone to pick up nicotine. In fact, I mean, the moral of the story is that I quit. But nicotine perhaps causes a little bit of elevated blood pressure. Nicotine is addictive. Nicotine also increases focus. But nicotine doesn't force you to spit into a cup like chewing tobacco or dip. You swallow it. I don't think it gives you bad breath. I can double check with my wife. I'm sure anything that you hold in your mouth for too long can have some deleterious effects on your oral hygiene, but it doesn't cause mouth cancer. No, the, the, the reason that I quit is because I had surrendered. I had surrendered control and I didn't like that feeling and also that I was just like a yo-yo when it came to energy. But I just think for the sake of accuracy, everyone should understand. I'm not sitting here telling you that nicotine has no ill effects. Otherwise, I'd never quit. But I am here to tell you just, you know, we should know that's not what causes cancer. It's the delivery mechanism. It's the tobacco in the dip. It's the tobacco in the cigarette. It's the inhalation of smoke. We'll see about vape and what it does to your lungs. I think it's pretty obvious that drawing anything deep into your lungs is probably not healthy. Still, it may not be causing cancer, but I have found it virtuous, meritful for me to quit Zen. But that's not why. That's not why, no, that I'm in hell. I'm in hell because I once lived in New York. I'm telling you, once they have their hooks in, you cannot get out of the bureaucracy and government apparatus of the state of New York. If you'll remember some six months ago, I went to try to get a driver's license in Texas. And that in and of itself was incredibly frustrating. The DMV experience, no matter where you live, is, I think, the best lesson in persuasion or the the best case for anyone to become a conservative. If you've ever been to the DMV, you don't want to turn over your health care to the government. And I found some very nice individuals, 
in a small town where there's a community where you might go back who are willing and remain willing. I hope I'm reaching out soon. I hope to walk me down the path of giving a driver's license in Texas. I've been in back in Texas for several years now, but I can't because New York has their hooks in me. And they dinged my driver's license with a suspension based upon the fact that I haven't proven insurance in New York. Well, I don't have insurance for a car in New York because I don't have a car in New York. My cars are registered in Texas, where, by the way, they are insured. So there's no reason for my license to be suspended. But if I have a suspended license in New York, I can't get a valid driver's license in Texas, which means that I can't buy guns and I want to buy some guns. And it has limited my rights as a citizen. And I would here to tell you, I think this is unconstitutional because it, the state of New York will not let you reinstate your privileges of a valid driver's license in New York. Here's how it works. They have a phone tree, okay? And it is a nightmare. It will reduce you to screaming at a glass and plastic object. It's a phone tree that seems to lead back unto itself. I'm serious. Like, I think I press one. And then she says, if you're calling for suspension due to lapse of insurance, press two. And I follow all the instructions. And I promise you, if you stop pressing buttons, because I've tried that as well, it hangs up on you. And there is no, you know, like when you call the airlines and if you yell representative at it, then somebody will eventually pick up and it will push you through all the different buttons. And finally, somewhere it'll ring. Who knows? On the 18th floor of some building in Mumbai where somebody will finally, in heavily accented English, attempt to politely yet ineffectively address your concern. There is no option at the New York State DMV where you will ultimately get a human being. It just pushes you back to the same exact female voice running through the same exact phone tree options. But weirdly, even though she's giving you the same options, like the second and third time you go around, it's not press one. It's moved to like press four. So you think that you have advanced to the next stage of this obstacle course, but you actually haven't because once you have cleared like five hurdles, you all of a sudden go, I think I've been here before. This sounds familiar. And I'm back to pressing one. It goes nowhere, man. It is like cruel and unusual punishment. It's like it's designed to create insanity. It's hell. And for 10% of your income, and another one and a half percent should you live in the city of New York, you get the privilege of going onto the ny.dmv.gov website, which is supposed to be the way that you can escape the phone tree maze. But what they've done is they've only recreated this hellhole in text format. They've got page after page full of words. It is though somebody vomited the dictionary up on multiple pages. And within that tome, novella of words that you scroll down, there are multiple links, all in government ease. And I don't know which links are for me, so I end up trying them all. And none of them go to anywhere. And it's just more words, more words. And then you'll see this thing says my DMV. And you're like, oh, maybe we can personalize it. You know, maybe this is where I actually can get directly to my particular issue. And you go through that. And after it's forced you to recreate a password six times, it times out. The website has this cool trick function where it times out. We're not dealing with Amazon. Now, say what you will about our tech overlords, but at the very least, for trading in our privacy, we have accomplished some level of convenience. There is some effectiveness. I do find it troublesome sometimes that I can't figure out how to import my Google Calendar on my iPad into the various soccer schedules and members of my family into one coordinate fashion. I don't even retain any hope that there's someone out there in Google world that I could get on the phone. 
But in the end, I accept that that's mostly because I'm old. But the DMV manages to deprive you of any connection to human beings and make it the worst experience of your life. This thing is not run by Jeff Bezos. This thing is run by Kathy Hochul. And no one ever said this is going to be the next innovation in driving privileges in the first world. And so I'm trapped. I'm trapped. My DMV uh, personal portal link does nothing. I think, honestly, after I've listened to every phone tree option and clicked on every single page full of a thousand words each, you know what I think I have to do? I think I have to fax something to a random number. I'm serious. And then I, proof of insurance, I don't know. Cover letter, explain it, I don't know. I have to fax, which means I have to track down a fax machine. And then I'm just going to send off some insurance and registration information. And I'm supposed to believe that somehow after that, in some timely fashion, I will be able to sacrifice my New York driver's license with full privileges so that I can then get a driver's license in Texas. It's pure hell. Pure hell. I, I mean, I'm always in spirit and culture a Texan, but I need in legal privileges to get to be a Texan. I, I need to buy some guns. By the way, in the last episode of the Will Kane podcast, I talked about the best gun store that I've ever been in. It's owned by my friend Cliff Montgomery, and it's been really awesome to see him build this business over time. Now got an indoor shooting range as well up in Sherman, Texas. And I mentioned that it was called B&R Outfitters. And perhaps because I'm suffering from mood swings and nicotine withdrawal, I got it wrong. It's BPS Outfitters. And you can go online and you can buy guns from them right there online. And I'm not being paid for an advertisement. I'm just giving you a solid recommendation. I don't think you're going to do better. I don't think you're going to do better in customer service, in um, inventory, in supporting people that support your values in life. BPS Outfitters, Sherman, Texas. But I can't. I can't. I can't go to BPS and buy my A400, my Super Black Eagle, my SIG P365, my AR. All of those on the Christmas wish list. I can't buy any of that because I'm not a legal Texan because I'm an illegal New Yorker and I can't escape. The hooks are in me and I'm trapped in this cycle of hell. We'll be right back with more of the Will Kane podcast. Story number one. Congratulations, Deadspin. Alert the Pulitzer Academy, Lebetard. You're better than a nine-year-old fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. At least that's what you would have us believe. At least that's the chest pounding you embarked upon earlier this week. At least that's what you tell yourself with your self-affirmations in the mirror. At least that's what you published and projected to nationwide audiences starting on Monday. Deadspin writer Karan J. Phillips published an article at the zombie of Deadspin. It's long since lost any sort of cultural relevance. It lost all of its, I believe, corporate funding. It lost all of its supposedly well-respected writers, although I never thought much of any of even the most esteemed writers at Deadspin. But what you're now looking at is some zombie version of Deadspin with some dollar store discount version of relevance of the one-time writers with men like Karan J. Phillips. Karan J. Phillips actually looks like someone who is trying their damnedest to get your attention by writing the most outlandish and ridiculous things on race. He has been someone who literally would say the game of pool like Martin in, um, in uh, the Eddie Murphy movie. What's the name of the movie? You know, look at, look at, look at, he has the mushroom belt. He's got the mushroom liners, got the mushroom belt. You got to coordinate boomerang boomerang. He's like Martin Lawrence's character in Boomerang, explaining that the game of pool is actually racist. 
See, the point of the game is for the white ball to knock all of the colored balls off of the table, the table and the felt green signifying the earth. And the game ends, it culminates with the white ball taking out the black ball. That was comedy once upon a time in the early 90s for Boomerang. It's the material for a nomination to the Pulitzer in 2023 for Karan J. Phillips of Deadspin. He published on Monday the following headline. The NFL needs to speak out against the Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface native headdress. Subhead. They're doubling up on racism. Are you going to say anything, Roger Goodell? There was a picture of a young boy wearing a cartoonish caricature of an American Indian headdress and his face painted black. He's wearing a Travis Kelsey jersey, number 87, and the picture is taken in profile from the side. Phillips goes on to explain how this is horrific examples of racism being embraced and tolerated by the NFL. And he has gone out of his way to make sure that you know he is someone capable of great virtue by pointing out others' vice. What Phillips doesn't point out to you is that the other half of that young boy's face is painted red. He's not in blackface. He's in black and red face because he's a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs and he's got team colors on his face. It's blatant manipulation of this young man's situation. It's blatant manipulation of the media. Importantly, it's blatant manipulation or attempted blatant manipulation of your mind to make you believe something that is not true. In short, when Donald Trump says to you that the media is the enemy of the people, as he said infamously, it was true. When you meet someone like me who is in the media, we deserve your skepticism. We deserve your cynicism until we can earn your trust. This industry has a lower approval rating than attorneys. This industry has earned it's low position, it's low reputation in society. Why? Because as well, men like Dan Lebitard, who used to have a radio show at ESPN. Lebitard went on to explain, along with his cast of self-important characters, that the outrage, the real outrage here, is the outrage to the outrage. They went on to say in their very condescending fashion, because condescension among that crew within the former ESPN circuit seems to be a currency, I think smart is all there is in the world. They know nothing of wisdom. They know nothing of virtue. And they know nothing of grace. But they certainly think highly of themselves and their own intelligence. They, they are busy explaining you condescendingly that the outrage to the outrage has entered its Vegas residency stage of our cultural careers. The whole point is about the right upset at the outrage from deadspin. And that the right has worn out its welcome on being outraged by the outrage? It's horrifically twisted logic, and it's absurd upon its face. They're right. The culture war is tired. The sports culture war has entered its Vegas residency stage. But that is about Quran Phillips. It's about Deadspin. And it's about the Dan Lebitard show. We're just tired of hearing you inject politics into every aspect of sports. And if we point out that we're tired of it or that it's absurd, that's not the worn out phase of this conversation in our culture. The worn out phase of this conversation in our culture is your shtick. It's that we don't get the show. They went in then to explain, did Dan Levitard, that fine, whatever, it's not blackface. It's overlooking the real racism in this whole thing. And that he's got black and red face. And he's wearing a headdress. And that the Chiefs, in general, are racist. This is so... Well, let me just take you up on your terms. Tired. And it's honestly so stupid. The existence of Native Americans is not offensive. I personally think... 
as someone who's quite a fan of American history and the history of American Indians, be happy to have an extended conversation with you about, I don't know, the Lakota or Quanah Parker or Petanacona or any of the famous American Indian wars or their way of life or their culture. Happy to have an extended conversation. I love it. I've read deeply about it. And because of that, in part, I know that not every reference to American Indians is offensive. I don't think that the Buffalo Nickel needs to be erased from our history. I don't think the image as drawn by a Blackfoot Indian in Montana that was the emblem of the Washington Redskins is offensive. In fact, I think the opposite. I think it's an honorific. I think it's proud. I think it should remain a part of the history of America. So what is it exactly that's offensive about the existence of the Kansas City Chiefs? The fact that they are a mascot? Well, what about the Cowboys? Is that offensive to ranching and Western heritage? Is that offensive to the men that still work in that industry? If you find yourself somehow a moniker of a football team, do the men work in steel mills in Pittsburgh? Are they missing out on their chance for grievance and victim and the offended industry? The Chiefs are noble. Every image they have of the American Indian is flattering. And they should not be erased from history. That headdress, it's ceremonial. And it's not common to every Indian tribe. And there's nothing about it. The entire presentation by this boy, that is racist. Now let's get to a couple of obvious quick points before we get to the big revelation. If you feel the need, Deadspin or Lebatard, to explain the racism of a nine-year-old, to explain your virtuous over a nine-year-old, you've literally lowered the bar for yourself that it could not be a smaller leap. Congratulations on your two-inch vert. You just cleared a huge hurdle. You're better than a nine-year-old. This has gone from criticizing 14-year-old Josh Allen to 18-year-old, what, 21-year-old Ky- Kyler Murray. When he, you know, win the Heisman, get drafted in the first round, pour through someone's tweets when they were a teenager, find something they said that was, you know, your 50-year-old version of yourself knows better than, and Explain to everyone how society is poisoned. You now reduce the bar to a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old. And look, I want to laugh and I want to make fun of you because I think that you are little, little, small people, small people to stand on the shoulders of nine-year-olds to make yourself look taller. You're small, small people. You walk around in the real world doing that? Oh, son, that's racist. Oh, son, that's offensive that's who you are in this world not someone of grace not someone of education you're not trying to help the nine-year-old he doesn't need your help by the way we'll get to that more in just a moment but you are someone that needs to feel better about themselves by finding the faults in a nine-year-old how could it get smaller and i want to laugh but i also think it's incredibly gross and i think karan phillips should probably be thrown in jail i think he will be sued He'll be sued. I hope he's sued. I hope Deadspin is sued from its zombie. I hope somebody puts the stake through the temple of the zombie version of Deadspin. Covington kids sued CNN. The New York Times settled for big figures for what they did. Again, just criminally libelous to the kids of Covington. And I don't, this kid's not a public figure. No actual malice, no recklessness required. This is just simple libel. This is defamation. Sue what's left of the zombie version of Deadspin. But let's get to the final reveal, the most fun part for all of these people that are so much better than a nine-year-old. The nine-year-old is a Native American. <laughs> he and his family are of the Chumash, Chumash tribe. So, we've got, I guess, we've, we've arrived at the inevitable, we've arrived at the inevitable and absurd conclusion. It was the same way with Washington Redskins, most popular team on American Indian reservations. 
explaining to people why they should be offended by the things, not just that other people do, but that they themselves do. You, American Indian, dressed up in American Indian headdress and team colors, you are racist. Congratulations, Deadspin. Where do you go for your Pulitzer? Don't go anywhere. More of the Will Kane podcast right after this. Story number two. We might have a new candidate for president. Is it Mark Cuban? News broke this week that Mark Cuban has sold a majority interest in the Dallas Mavericks to the family of Sheldon Adelson. Dr. Miriam Adelson is now the majority owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Around the same time frame, we also learned that Mark Cuban will in time be stepping back from Shark Tank. What does this mean? Does it mean that Cuban is running for president? I don't think so. No. I think it's what everybody wants to believe because Cuban is so politically active, mostly on Twitter. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it does have some political implications, but it's less about president of the United States. I think what we see here is the handwriting on the wall that soon Texas will legalize gambling. The Adelson family owns the Las Vegas Sands Corporation. If you've been a listener to the Will Kane podcast or watch Fox and Friends, it should ring familiar. The Las Vegas Sands Corporation reached out to me in August of this year, wanting to donate some of their fleet of planes to help the people in Maui after the devastating fires in Lahaina. We managed to put together in partnership an incredible project. We're over a million dollars in necessities from air purifiers to stuffed teddy bears, e-bikes and scooters to close, we're loaded up onto a 747 designed to take high-stakes gamblers across the world to casinos owned in Macau or others by the Las Vegas Sands and flew all that over to Maui. I have a real soft spot in my heart for Miriam Adelson. I have a soft spot in my heart for the Las Vegas Sands Corporation. And I, for one, on a personal level, consider this great news that they're the new owners of the Dallas Mavericks. But I also think there's something more to it. Mark Cuban is going to retain control of basketball operations. And he has said in the past that he wants to partner with Las Vegas Sands to build a hotel, resort, casino, and stadium in the city of Dallas. And I don't think that he would be doing so if he didn't already know the gambling would soon be legal in Texas. The Adelsons are big supporters of various politicians in the Republican Party, including Governor Greg Abbott and former President Donald Trump. The Adelsons are the type of owners we want in the NBA. Charitable, on the right side of history, share great values, and they seem to be interested in developing North Texas and Dallas, Texas. And Mark Cuban wants to be a part of an operation that's going to have Resort, casino, basketball arena in Dallas, Texas. I think that's the political takeaway from Cuban selling the Dallas Mavericks. It's a surprise. Everyone around here thought he was going to be like Jerry Jones and hand this down over a lifetime to his children. But it doesn't seem to be the case. Maybe there's something bigger at play and going into the casino business. Or maybe I'm wrong. And maybe down the road here, we might see... Yet another entrant, along with no labels, along with RFK, along with Gavin Newsom, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Mark Cuban, for president of the United States. Story number three, a knockdown drag out debate over the college football playoff going into championship weekend with the host of the Bear Bets podcast on the Fox News podcast, Fox Sports podcast network, Chris Felica. We go through all the scenarios, where I disagree, where he pushes back, what could happen this weekend. It's a fun bit of gamesmanship before the games actually take place on Saturday. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Felica. The Bear, Chris Felica, is about to meet his match. I got bad news for you, Felica. You've walked into a buzzsaw. I'm under the weather, and I'm unhappy. I just saw your college football playoff rankings. I've seen the entire world's perception. This seems to be obvious. Oregon over Texas. And I've been relishing the opportunity to have a face-to-face -face debate with anyone capable of such ill logic. 
make the case for me, Bear, why you have Oregon in the college football playoff ahead of Texas. Because I think Texas power rates as a better team right now. If you look at a lot of the, look, I am, I'm a numbers guy. I, I see the terminology of the best four teams. And if you look at a lot of the power ratings and, and, and rankings, Oregon is power rated second behind Georgia. Like I, I spoke to Chris Andrews, who's the odds maker at South Point last night. He's got Oregon favored over Michigan. He's got Georgia barely favored over Oregon. Now, I, I do think we're going we're gonna to get into Texas and Florida State, I think, in a bit. But I, I think if you look at the way Oregon has controlled games and dominated teams, I know they had the one game early in the year against Texas Tech that, uh, that they, they needed a little bit of help to win and a late comeback to win. And, and they did have the game in Seattle that they wound up losing in, in weird fashion, landing with a couple of mistakes. But, but I think if you look at offense, defense, and the way they have controlled games, and the overall strength or the perceived strength of the Pac-12, uh, I, I think Oregon, the way they power rate out right now, uh, makes them a playoff team. And, and I, I was surprised. I thought you were going to go a while while I would have them a, a playoff team ahead of Texas instead of uh, well, Washington, I should say, instead of Texas. I, I just think anyone who watched that game against Washington, I think, came away thinking that Oregon was the better team in that game. And a couple of fourth down decisions. Uh, ultimately cost the uh, the Ducks the game. And I think we, we've seen with the odds makers uh, making Oregon close to a 10-point favorite this week, uh, I think they feel the same way. But do we want to get into the whole, into the whole Texas deal right now? We, we got something else first. No, we're going straight into this debate, and I am not going to skip over Oregon versus Washington because I think those two debates are one in the same. You know, when I listen to you, and you know I'm having fun with you here, but I am serious about this debate. Um because I feel like college football has turned into ice capades. I feel like it's turned into rodeo. We need to have a panel of judges that sit by the side of the arena and judge someone based upon what their perceived performance is instead of the outcome. Did you make the eight seconds seems completely in- incidental to how good you looked while you were atop the bull. And so here's what I'm afraid college football has turned into, this idea of perceived power of the Pac-12, quality of offense, whatever power rankings are. The one piece of evidence that you, you gave that I give some level of credence is Vegas odds, mm-hmm. is our Vegas lines, because at least they have some skin in the game on establishing who is the better team. But the problem with all of it is it's like Plato's, you know, allegory of the cave. It's like we we begin to think the shadows on the wall are reality and not what's actually happening in front of the fire. And what's happening in front of the fire is actually a game that took place. And Washington actually beat Oregon. That happened. And if we don't let that be the determinative factor in who's better between Washington and Oregon, there's literally no point in playing the game. Now, I think the Texas debate is sitting there side by side with that Washington debate. Because we have every piece of objective evidence of what has happened on the field. We don't have to do offensive and defensive efficiency. We can actually see common opponent in Texas Tech. Of course, different time of year, but it's close as we get without those teams going head to head. And then we say, best victory. Not even close. It is Texas with a victory in Tuscaloosa. Dom. Dominating is only slightly homeristic and strong, but it's not far from reality. I mean, Texas... They were clearly the better team in Tuscaloosa. And you and I agree on that, right. There wasn't a second of that game that I thought Alabama was the better team and thought they would win that night. Correct. And so in all of these debates, whether it's Texas-Oregon or Texas-Ohio State, by the way, we also have strength of schedule and strength of record, all which tip in the favor of the Longhorns over Oregon. What's happening is we're just ignoring reality and indulging like... Let's put a panel together of Dan Orlovsky and Joel Klatt and Kirk Herbstreit, which, by the way, that panel would be better than the one that we're using to actually determine reality. But where it's like they're going to be the judges at the side of the ice skating rink. And at the end of the season, they'll tell us who's best, regardless of what happens on the field. See, I, you, you bring up Texas. I think Texas should be in the playoffs. I think if Texas wins Saturday, they should be in the playoff, regardless of what Florida State does. And I know it's hard, and I know it sounds unfair. And, and Florida State would be thirteen and zero, and people talk about Florida State's resume. I think ultimately, and it, it's in writing in the, in the committee's guidelines and criteria for for selecting team. They say their mission is to select the four best teams, and they've got their criteria. And in there, it specifically alludes to player availability. 
it, 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 it's harsh, yes. And there may be a human aspect that doesn't want to leave a 13-0 and Power 5 champion out. But you cannot tell me that Florida State without Jordan Travis is one of the best four teams in the country. And I think ultimately that's what, that's the only question I think that matters on late Saturday night, early Sunday morning when they're finalizing their rankings. Do you think Florida State without Jordan Travis is one of the best four teams in the country? Yeah, uh, I think... I don't think that's the only question that will matter on, on Saturday night. By the way, let's deal with Florida State for just a moment, and then let's come back to your question of what the actual debate is going to most likely be on Saturday. Uh, I, I, One of my producers, Patrick Haddon, is going bananas right now listening to you because he is a Seminole. But I, I think I'm fairly objective on this. I think if they win 13 games in a Power 5 conference, you have to put them in. If you are undefeated in a Power 5 conference, I don't want to hear arguments about best. And I agree with you, by the way. Look, the backup quarterback, do I take Florida State over Oregon? Probably not. Do I take them over Texas? Probably not. I'm talking about, like, were they to play in a neutral field tomorrow? Would I take Florida State over those teams? And the answer is probably not. But they've literally done everything you've asked them to do, including yep. win with a backup quarterback in this scenario. Which, by the way, same thing with Texas. A lot, not all, but a lot of those close games that they're being punished for That's were great. with a backup quarterback. And it's just, I don't understand this whole thing about style points when you've done, you could, the only thing, you know, you're tempted to say, well, Florida State, you know what you should have done? You should have, you should have scheduled a very impressive non-conference opponent, but they did in LSU and beat LSU. And by the way, so did Texas, about as impressive as you can possibly do in going to Tuscaloosa and neither of them are getting credit for those non-conference wins. So it's as though there's nothing they can do except what Oregon's done which is beat up Cal by 40 points. And that seems to be more valuable to people than actually going undefeated. Well, I, I, I think people with the Oregon deal, I think the projecting that they would have a road power five non-conference win it, it is a big deal. Uh, they would have avenged their only loss, which is a oh, talking about Texas loss. Tech there. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even that one, they're like, and then technically, at least it's a it's a power five conference team on the road at night in a crazy wild atmosphere. They took the game and they did win it. It's not like Michigan who played nobody. Like, like at least they did make an effort. And begin, go back to the beginning of the year. People thought Texas Tech potentially a dark horse horse. And I gave you my New York Long Island accent, horse uh, a, a dark horse maybe <laughs> to get to the, uh, the the Big Twelve championship game. And then they had injuries to the quarterback position and their season spiraled out of control the, the one argument that you that i will not like i don't get this whole championing championing alabama to make the playoff over texas like, like that like that would be the like the florida state thing we can agree to disagree on everything it's not like i'm pouting a florida state makes it it's a joke they shouldn't be like it, it's, it's because if you take one side your view is like hating the other side or having a yeah, I know. it's like if Florida State gets in, I'm not going to be outraged. Yeah, they would have won all their games. Will they be a 15-point underdog against Georgia or a 13-point underdog against Michigan? Sure. Would Texas be favored by a touchdown on a neutral field over Florida State? Sure. But the committee has their criteria with what they do. And if they judge FSU to be one of the best four, even with Rod Maker at quarterback, fine. They're in, and it is what it is. But I can't put Alabama in over Texas in any, in any scenario, even though uh, people are saying, well, what if Alabama beats Georgia and snaps that winning streak and ends the, the two-time defending champions? Good. They did. Congratulations. But you know what? They and Texas have the same exact record. And Texas went to Tuscaloosa and Brad Denny beat them with double digits. So like, like that, that people are saying like, well, what do you, if you're Texas, what do you want to have happen? I kind of disagree a little bit because I think if Alabama beats Georgia, they obviously are the conference champs. They have the same record as Georgia, where they would be the SEC team to go ahead of Georgia. But at the same time, then you take it to the Texas-Alabama conversation, and Texas would have beaten Bama. So let's I, let's stay with Texas. I I think I I think I disagree again with you on this one. I think so, I have to. I think I'm forced to root this weekend for Georgia, Washington, and Louisville. I think that's Texas's only path into the college football playoff with that combination of wins. Um, I don't think they're going to keep an SEC team out. So even if they buy your logic, oh, there's no way we can put Alabama in over Texas. They're not going to leave out Georgia and Alabama. It's just that's not going to happen. A lot of people, or that's what a lot of people think. See, I kind of disagree with. I think, I think um, Texas. The only thing they need to have happen 
is Louisville beat Florida State or or um, Washington beat Oregon? Like, I think that would potentially be enough because Ohio State is like a placeholder there right now. Like, like that, that's there. They will not have a conference championship, which the committee will look at. Whereas Texas would, I think Texas would go, uh, would, would bump all the way up to, to four in that situation. So, on that note, and I've heard people talk about this because I don't even focus on Ohio State because of what you just said. I assume that to be the case. I'm a little nervous. This committee makes me nervous. I'm a little nervous that Ohio State is ahead of Texas and Alabama. Um, and I'm just saying Alabama as well because. I mean, this isn't all about Texas for me. It's actually about some principled criteria here as well. But I've assumed based on the history of the committee that you go win your conference championship, they'll jump you over an idle team right. that weekend. You mm-hmm. think that's true? Yes, I do. Okay, so then Texas and or Alabama would jump Ohio State in that scenario. Yes. The, the concern, and this is why I focus on Oregon. See, this is what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned Georgia wins. I'm concerned that Florida State wins, Michigan wins, and there's three spots. And then it comes down to Oregon beating Washington and Texas beating Oklahoma State. And they'll take what's clear that they will. I think it's clear based upon their history of voting here. And by the way, Oregon would at that point have a better final victory on the on the last weekend over Washington than Texas beating Oklahoma State. They'll take Oregon over Texas. And that's why I'm focused on this resume. We didn't even get, dive into the Texas Tech common opponent, but yeah, that too. Texas beats Texas Tech by 50, and Oregon wins by one possession at the end of the game. It's just, there's nothing on paper, but yet everybody's decided by the eye test or narrative or media love of Oregon or Bo Nix's Heisman candidacy that it is Oregon that will get that fourth spot. Yeah, and, and I think you you hit the nail on the head with the, the, the exclamation point at the end of the year. Like, if they have an opportunity to to beat number three Washington in that Pac-12 championship game, like that, that is going to be kind of the, the the final stamp on their season with a high a Heisman caliber type quarterback. They're going to get it. I, I think with Oregon, it just it does come down to just how good and how impressive they have been to watch and what they've done since that loss to Washington. Like it's, I I think Oregon's a really good and, and the problem the problem is. Is I think Texas is a really good team too. But like defensively, I think they are the one defense out there that could match up with with a Georgia, certainly Michigan or, or anybody else, and give them a world of problems. Like because they got dudes on both sides of the ball, and I think that was apparent when they went to Alabama and won. And, and they're, they, I, I remember I was talking with, with someone on the staff a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "Dude, this is the first time since week two that we're fully healthy. So like we'll, we'll, we'll see if that remains the case, but um, yeah, the, 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 it, it, it sucks because if Travis were healthy for Florida state, I would say four best Florida state winner, winner of the, uh, the, the Pac-12 Michigan, Georgia, but it, it's, it's just hard for me to say w- without Travis, that, that Florida state is one of the best four, even though I do think if they win, the committee will put them in because look, it's never truly been about the best four for the committee. It's this combination of best season slash resume with maybe a, a conference title over one team. That It's been a lot of that. It's like and a healthy want, dose of eye test. Right. If you want to go straight, if you want to go strictly best, we can just look at the Sager and power ratings or the, or the, uh, uh, the FBI ratings or FPI or SP plus or Vegas power rankings and just get, here are the best four and they'll and they'll crank out Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, and Texas. That's what it'll be. But that's not what the they, they, they like having this subjectivity to it where they can kind of mold their argument to whatever they want to say. And and that's that's why where we are. And I, I'm curious, you know, like. I enjoy this. Like I, I love the debate and the conversation and, and the fact it should be hard to get in with only four teams. Like next year, we're not going to have this. Like it's just strictly going to be about seeding. Like the Ohio State Michigan game last week, that was going to be the first of a rematch that we would get next week. And with the playoff expanding, we're going to know who's in. So like I love this setup that that it's hard to get in, and we're having this debate about what is. Who is the better team? What 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 makes a, a resume better than other? 
should a late season injury factor into like, like oh, this is great. It's it's great for for our business and our and our talking. Well, so I actually appreciate what you're saying because college football is more so than basically any other sport, a talking sport. And it's interesting because I held a national sports radio show for three years and it doesn't get the ratings. It does it. That conversation doesn't rate in the same way NFL talk does. But the truth is, um, you know, and I've, I've been in sports my entire life, whether or not I'm sitting around a campfire at hunting camp or I'm sitting around a bar, the best conversations about sports are the ones you and I are having right now. And it's better than who's the best quarterback in the NFL, which is the next best corollary, Bear, to be honest. Like, no one, like, I thought you and I could sit here today and talk about Eagles versus Niners and the Cowboys resume, which they haven't beat up. They beat up on bad teams and haven't beat good teams, but nobody's as emotionally invested in winning that debate because ultimately it's going to play out on the field. And that's where we're moving to in college football. When I'm at a campfire at, at hunting camp, which I've been, you know, twice in the past two months. This is the conversation. Now, it's regional. It's in Texas. But this is what we talk about. And it always is like, are we having fun or are we not having fun? Are we mad or are we having a good time? It's always in that range. But it, I also heard somebody saying this. It wasn't always this way with college football. You know, you know what's died? As this has become college football, you know what died? Was Heisman talk. Yep. When you and I were younger, we talked about the Heisman. And we cared. Would it be, you know, Bo Jackson? Would, 80s, even into the 90s, we cared. I don't care. I don't care if it's Bo Nix. I don't care if it's Jaden Daniels. I don't care that it's not Michael Penix. I don't care, really. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think, unless you are a fan of one of those teams, you don't really care. And it's probably been that way for a decade. Instead, we debate who should get into the playoff. Yeah, because I, I think with, with the highs, but I think it's turned into, and maybe this year it'll be different if Jaden Daniels does win, it, it's just defaulted to voters just voting for the, the the quarterback on one of the top couple of teams in the country, which I don't think is the spirit of the award. And and, and again, kind of like the whole Texas versus Florida State, if you want to throw Oregon in there, that's fine. Like, it's just that an outrage on the other side. I don't hate the other side. I'm just trying to make the, the case that I believe in. Like, I think it's the same way, at least this year with the Heisman, from what I've noticed, is that, like, if you support Jaden Daniels, like I do, because of the historic season that he's had, like if you get your, your view, it is like hating Bo Nix, which is not the case. Nix has had a great year. And if he wins, fine. I just think Daniels has had a better year and it's not his fault. The LSU defense was terrible. If, if, if neighbors catches a ball that went right off of his hands in the end zone against all Miss, we're not having a conversation about who the, who the Heisman Trophy winner is because LSU would be 10 and two instead of nine and three. But, but, but you're right. I, I think back to like growing up. And like you can you think of like Chuck Long nearly beating Bo Jackson in the Heisman Trophy. Like like, like who would ever imagine like nowadays like Iowa quarterback uh, coming in in second and nearly beating uh, an SEC running back. But yeah, there was so much passion about that. And, and I think maybe the, the TV part of it maybe had something to do with it because it was so rare. All we would see were highlights of these games. They, they weren't on widespread like they are now. It, it was kind of this like mythical lore about some of these college players back then. So that might be the the, the, the one thing that I, that I can think of why that might be. Well, when you and I were young as well, they voted on this national champion. Like it, it, that that mm -hmm. was even more maddening. You know, I mean, th there was zero ability to settle this on the field. So, But in the end, I'll say this. I, I'm actually looking for... The, the takeaway for me on all this is I'm looking forward to the 12-team playoff. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we will still have the debates at, you know, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Um, I think it will be overseeding to your point, but there'll just be more justice. There's a chance. I'm just trying to think about the scenario. If Oklahoma state wins and Florida state wins and Washington wins and Georgia wins, we won't have a debate. You know, it'll just, we have the opportunity for four undefeated teams. That could potentially be the case Or these one loss teams all drop to two losses and Ohio state doesn't have a case to make it a one loss team. You know, so I, I think there's a chance there's not an injustice, but there's also a chance there's a real injustice that is done to Florida State or to Texas. There is. Or, or, to, or to Alabama or Georgia in those scenarios where you're not in the college football playoff. In fact, I want to do that with you, Bear. Let's talk about a few scenarios where, where, that no one kind of discusses. All right, you've already said you actually believe it's possible for the SEC to be left out. Mm -hmm. That's Alabama beating Georgia and neither of them getting in because Alabama lost to Texas. 
Do you see a scenario where actually both Georgia and Alabama get in, where Alabama wins a tight one, Georgia, you know, who, by the way, has done okay. Their strength of schedule doesn't compare to some of these other teams, but they're on a two-year, what is it, two, three-year win streak, essentially, and they have the huge reputation. Do you think Alabama and Georgia could both get in in Texas or Oregon or Florida State yeah, be pushed out because of Georgia at yeah, one loss? I think, I think there potentially, potentially could be. That would, obviously, I think you'd need uh, Oklahoma State to beat Texas. You would need Louisville to beat Florida State. And you probably would need Oregon maybe to win a close game against Washington. I'll, 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 and for the purposes of our conversations, yes, Michigan will win. M- Michigan is in. Iowa is not beating them. So in, in that in that case, you've got Alabama who who, who beat Georgia in a, in a close game, but, but they're in. You've got Michigan who is in. Um, You've got. You could actually put a Pac-12 team in there, and then have Georgia go in yeah. over over uh, Texas and Florida State. Say they lose to Louisville. I mean, I think a one loss. My point is, I think a one loss Georgia is going to put that committee in a situation where they'll say, "Are we going to pick Georgia over a Big Twelve champion Texas? Are we going to pick Georgia over a Pac-12 champion Oregon?" And I think the answer. I'm not sure. I know what the committee will say to those debates. It's crazy. I I don't either, but. but- the, the human element and the human emotion of this and like, I don't want to say guilt, but maybe kind of guilt kind of like comes into play here. And that's why I think ultimately Florida State will win because I think we'll, we'll get in if they do win because I think there will be this human element that says, yeah, I know they're not the same team and they're not as good, but we can't do that to them. So I think that's why they will. But but that's the same thing with, with George, like two-time defending champion on a, 20 game winning streak or whatever the hell it is and you're going to leave them out because they lost in a last second field goal in the SEC championship game to right about like like that's that's a hard call like I agree I'm <laughs> I'm nervous of that scenario that's why I'm rooting for Georgia I I yes. I, I think that I don't want to be in a situation where they're gonna they're in my mind they'll never leave the SEC out of the playoff so what, what I have to worry about them is putting two teams <laughs> into the playoff now you just I want I actually want to address this and nobody's addressing it and maybe because it doesn't matter but no matter how unlikely what if Iowa does beat Michigan what does that do well I mean would that push Michigan out of the top 4 would that reintroduce Ohio State would that box the Big wow. 10 out of the playoff what would that <laughs> loss to Iowa do to the playoff I think there would be a very there would be a chance Michigan could be left out um, I, I know they have the win over Ohio State on, on, on their home field, but at the same time, Texas were super impressive in winning. Uh, if, if Washington or Oregon were super impressive in winning, a Florida State wins. Like I think that could push because you're not going to put Ohio State in over Michigan. Like that, that's it's not going to happen. But and I wonder. You talk about the I, I talked about the human element as well. Like, is there a little bit of residual? And I know who Corrigan kind of said no, there isn't. When you talk about what happened off the field with the scandal, like would there be something in the committee room subliminally being like, yeah, and you know what? Now is our opportunity where we can plummet Michigan down a little bit because they 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 did lose as a four touchdown favorite to 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 the worst offense in the country. So like, I think I think if Michigan loses, I think there's a really good chance, depending on uh, the other results, if, if the right combination happens, that Michigan could be out. Yeah, and then therefore Ohio State as well, and no team from the Big Ten in the, in that scenario. Um, okay, and I think these are both um, really unlikely events, but do you think there is a scenario where a one-loss Florida State or a one-loss Washington gets in? In that scenario, you'd have two Pac-12 teams in, in the playoff. And, and by the way, that's your top four right now. I think you have Oregon three, Washington four. I think, I think if Washington loses, they're out. I think if Florida State loses, they're certainly out. I think Washington would have a better chance because they still would have, I think it's three top 20 wins against the committee's top 20. If you look at the team that they have ranked with, I think Oregon State, uh, Oregon, and um, and Utah, I think it's the other one that, that, that would be in there. I, I think they would still have a case depending on what happens in the other games. But, but I, I think if Florida State were to lose, I think that gives the committee 
to say, okay, we gave them the opportunity without Travis to beat Louisville, who had well, 14 or 15, I think they are in the rankings, and they couldn't do it. We can't justify them as one of the best four teams now uh, if they do lose. I think Washington, there will probably be some type of conversation, but I do think the way UW has played down the stretch, all of those close games, yes, they found a way to win. They've clearly not looked like the same team uh, that they did early in the year when Penix was throwing for 400 yards a game uh, and, and they beat Oregon and Seattle uh, and, and they dominated uh, all those games and put up those points. It's not not the same looking team. Now, maybe Friday night, uh, they they turn the, turn the switch and they're, they're back to doing that. But uh, it would be hard for me to imagine a one-loss Washington going in unless we have this scenario where, where Georgia does win, Texas loses, and, and maybe you're looking at it. Well, that comes down to this, Bear. This was going to be my final question for you. If you're a fan of the Buckeyes, you're rooting for the exact same scenario as Texas plus an Oklahoma State win. What? And then then Ohio State slips into number four. But actually what we're talking about there is um, what if it, it, what if Oregon wins? And mm-hmm. I said Washington. Washington's the best win for Texas in the Pac-12. And I think that's the same for Ohio State. So let's say what if Oregon wins and you've got a one-loss Washington and a one-loss Ohio State going up against each other right there for the fourth and final spot. Texas is down to two losses. Um, Alabama's down to two losses. So it's Washington versus Ohio State, both with one loss for the fourth spot. I think they put Ohio State in. They probably don't think twice. They both they both would be non-champions, and I think they would look at the closeness of that game uh, in Ann Arbor last week, uh, coin flip type game. Ohio State had the ball at midfield with a chance to, to to win the game. They would look at Ohio State having the two top ten wins uh, that they do have against Notre Dame and Penn State. Uh, I think they would look at the, the the efficiency rankings of those teams and realize that Ohio State's defense is far superior to Washington. I think that's the scenario where Ohio State does get in. Oklahoma State pulls an upset. Uh, Oregon beats Washington. Uh, Georgia beats Georgia beats Alabama. And I think if Florida State were to lose, I think that's the, the scenario where Ohio State gets in that that fourteen partly there. All right, let's wrap up college football really quickly. Bear, by, let me ask you this: the early lines. You already mentioned Oregon, Washington. What is that line? It's nine and a half now, and, and I. It was funny because I have Oregon future tickets from early in the season, and I thought I was like, okay, this is an opportunity to win the Pac-12. Like I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to get Washington at plus seven, like last week or ten days ago. I didn't expect this number to go to nine and a half, but but it has at nine and a half. I would think I have to take. Uh, Washington plus the points in this game right now, uh, just not knowing what's going on it, it, with any injuries or anything. It's a the big next. number. It, it, the fact that it's gone up, like you mentioned, they did win the game the first time around. They did have success against the Oregon secondary. Could they do it again? Sure. Like it just, we've seen, especially in the Pac-12, teams with so much at stake, uh, an opportunity to get get to the playoff. And clearly, both teams have pressure now to get to the playoff. This is the conference that, that's kind of had upsets the last few years. I, I, ju- I would just have to take Washington uh, plus the points here uh, ju- just to kind of be like, okay, they, they did win that first meeting, and it, the line has just gotten way out of hand. All right, Louisville, Florida State. What's the early line? It's two, It's Actually, it was like five and a half uh, before, six and a half before the Travis injury, and now it's down to two and a half. I... Mm. <laughs> It, it, I would probably have to take Louisville on this game. And the reason why is you look at the two games from last week. Uh, you look at Florida State's win in Gainesville. They averaged what, 3.9 yards of play, 240 yards, whatever it was. They were aided mightily by a number of Florida personal foul penalties that prolonged drives. Uh, and, and if you look at Louisville last week, you look at that box score, they had three turnovers, a couple deep in their own territory that led to Kentucky points. Outgained Kentucky by like 140 yards in the game. Like they, 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 they had the winning box score. Florida State had the losing box score. And the results were flipped just because of the turnovers uh, that happened in that game. I have utmost respect for Jeff Brom. And if you look at Brom's career against like top five, top 10 teams, it's been very good. He can draw plays. I think if Plummer avoids turning the ball over, I think with that running game that they have 
And a defense, I think, it's pretty underrated as well. It was like Lou, uh, the, it wasn't like Kentucky that went up and down the field on them. It concerns me that even with the backup quarterback, Florida State couldn't move the ball on a Gator defense that has been trash all year. So I went back and looked at Florida. They beat two, they beat four FBS teams this year. Two of them were three and nine Charlotte and two and ten Vandy. It's <laughs> not a good Florida team. Yes, they got out with the win and it's a rivalry game and, you know, and all bets are off. But the, the, the offense really worried me last week. I would be inclined to take Louisville plus the point there. All right. Finally, uh, Georgia, Alabama early line. It's now six and a half. It was, it opened at a three, three and a half, and it's been bet up to six. And I've seen, seen it come down to like five and a half or so. I, I think either. Georgia, I, think, I, I know think, what I think. I think Georgia either wins the game by double digits or Alabama wins out. I think it's one of those. Types I like, of I, I wish I would have gotten Georgia early minus three. That's a, that's an incredible buy. Yeah. I think, I, I, I mean, Auburn, Auburn almost beat Alabama. Alabama's mm-hmm. had trouble throughout the year. Everybody's talking okay, about this well, Alabama okay. resurgence and Jalen Milrose 20, growth. They've had mm-hmm. trouble. It was a 24-20 game of Brian Denny against Arkansas, who was terrible this exactly. year. Exactly. Exactly. They've, they've been in game. Like, look, yes, Milrow has grown and he's gotten better. But 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 I'm with you. I know Joy, I think Bowers is still just kind of getting back into the swing of things from the uh, the surgery after his ankle injury. Mims is back now. I, I think George, the way Georgia has played in recent weeks, I know they struggle with Missouri a little bit. Missouri's a good team. I think the fact that they lost to Georgia a couple, I mean, they lost to Alabama a couple of years ago in the SEC championship game and, and, and didn't get that SEC title over Bama. I think that matters to Kirby Smart. Like, you might be able to wait a little bit more and this number might come down uh, a little bit more as, as the I think it's going to be a good bit of Bama money because I do think that Alabama narrative is, is really strong. If you like Georgia, I would wait and see if it comes down some more. If you like Bama, you better hop in now. But I, I, I'm with you. Well, I'd be inclined to, to lay it here with, with Georgia. I'm with you on the same bets, by the way. I would take Georgia and sacrifice the points. I'll take Louisville plus the points. I'll, I'll take or I'll take Washington with the points if it's that many. But what I just heard you break down, essentially, and you didn't give me money line, but I, I can read between the lines, um, is that your college football playoff prediction is uh, going to be Georgia, um, Oregon, Michigan, mm-hmm. and Texas. That yes. sounds like you're four because you're, you've got a Florida State loss, you got an Alabama loss, you got a Washington loss. I hear you jumping conference champion Texas over Ohio State. That sounds like your top four. Yeah, that, that, that's that's where I think ultimately we're going to wind up. And, and look, it'll suck for Florida State to have gotten this far. I, I think back, I remember in the first year of the BCS, uh, Chris Wenke got hurt. I can't remember if it was in the, 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 the Florida game at the end of the year or if it was a game prior to that. And, uh, and Marcus Outson came in and they had an unbelievable defensive performance with those freaks that they had on defense. And they beat the Gators. And then they wound up going to the title game against, they, they get, they, we got losses by Ohio State. We got losses, we got losses by Ohio State. We got losses by um, uh, A&M and, the, and eight losses by UCLA. And they wound up being Tennessee against Florida State. And I remember that Florida State offense was just completely outmatched in that game. So they've gotten in with the backup quarterback before, and it didn't go. And there's no correlation to that. But it's just, it's just kind of ironic that here, here we could be with 25 years later or whatever it is, but here they could be again in a situation where they could get thrown into the deep end of the pool and, and have to go in very shorthanded at the quarterback position, which, which would kind of suck for them uh, to go in there. And, oh, you're in. Congratulations. But, oh, by the way, you got to play Georgia and you're a 15-point dog. But um, uh, it, it, that's why the team that we saw early in the year against LSU, I mean, that was a great performance. And, and the way they, 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 they had some games that were up in the air in the second half, but they found ways to win. I think the Wake Forest game was a great performance that they had. And, uh, they got up on Miami and, and held on there. Like, it, 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 would, it would be hard to, to be like, damn, Florida State, we didn't get in because the quarterback got hurt. And we, we really That's what it, that, that, that one doesn't bother me. That's not injustice. It is what it is if you lose. If you lose. But if they win, in my mind, they have to go into the playoffs. All right, a, lot that, of people, a lot of people feel the same way, Will. Yeah. 
we can continue this debate. Perhaps we can do it at the Dallas Sands Resort and Casino just before a Mavericks game here in about four or five oh, years, Bear. Man, four or five <laughs> years. Can we make it four or five months? We got to legalize gambling in Texas. We've Ooh, got man. the Mavericks sold to the Las Vegas Sands. Oh. We've got to get gambling legalized in Texas. They got to build this. They got to build this Dallas Venetian. Uh, that's going to take a few years, but I think it's all. I think that's what's going to happen, man. Oh. I think, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Will Kane show is broadcast live from this new Dallas Venetian <laughs> right there. Well, count me in. Guest number. Guest, guest number one. Day number one. I'll be there. All right. Chris Felica, Bear Betts, always good to have a conversation with you and this time a debate about the college football playoff. Thanks, man. You got it, bud. There you go. Check out Chris's podcast, Bear Betts, at the Fox Sports Podcast Network. That's going to do it for me today. I will see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 